This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. A report from Deloitte suggests that the digital equity gap continues to grow in Canada. For his perspective on this, let's bring in Mark Flalo, the host of Double Tap TV, which you can find on AMI TV Tuesdays at 8 p.m. Eastern time. Hey, good morning, Mark. Morning, Dave. Welcome back. Nice to see you. Yeah, nice to hang out with you yet again, my friend. So, Mark, let's start here. When they say digital equity gap, what do they mean by that? Yeah, this is an interesting one. A digital equity gap in in this study refers to basically access to Internet equally across the country between uh, everybody, regardless of race, uh, any orientation, et cetera, et cetera. And what they're finding, obviously, is that there's a significant difference between those who can succeed in the digital world and those who cannot. And the gap is unfortunately not getting smaller. So who are some of the individuals or some of the groups that are impacted by this gap? So um, obviously, if you think about it, you've got uh, indigenous people, people in the 2SLGBTQ plus community, uh, racialized communities, uh, recent immigrants, people with disabilities, lower income households, senior and seniors and women. So beyond who, why is this happening? What are some of the reasons for the inequity? The, the major reason comes down to income equality. And, uh, you know, access to high-speed internet obviously costs money, and that is directly related to income. For every one megabyte of download and upload speed, the study finds that you need to have a household income of a, an additional $2,500 oh annually. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that's a pretty significant number when you look at the, the, you know, in terms of what it is across the board, especially in a lot of communities and low-income communities where obviously even the infrastructure doesn't even support it. So that's unfortunately the reason that they're finding. So what are some of the solutions here? As you identified, cost is obviously a big one, but some of this is infrastructural as well. Yeah, it's definitely infrastructure, and and what the what is what this comes down to at the end of the day is that there's lots of conversation going on about this. You know, the CRTC is our governing body in Canada that regulates the internet and decides what kind of funding goes where. And when it comes to conversations about this, they sit down at the table, and they're normally sitting down with the big telcos, you know, the Rogers, Bellas, and Telus of, Telus of the world. And while they have conversations about issues like this, they're not necessarily bringing to the table um, the smaller internet service providers. Not only that, but the actual communities that are affected don't have a seat at the table as well. So if you don't have a seat at the table, how can you actually bring up these issues and find resolutions that actually make sense? So what they're suggesting here and the, and the result of this survey is that they need to bring more people to the table to have real meaningful conversations about what the solutions are, the realistic solutions are, and things that they can implement right away, as opposed to saying, okay, here's our 10-year plan to get infrastructure to where you are. Mm-hmm. The fact of the matter is technology is advancing, and the ability to get higher speeds to different communities is a little bit easier than it was maybe five, 10 years ago. So 
if they had a seat at the table and they were able to uh, properly articulate what their issues are, then there may be opportunities for other people to get involved and say, listen, we have a potential solution. We could beam this in via satellite. We can, you know, uh, use existing infrastructure to beef that up. There are lots of different opportunities there and possibilities, but people need the seat at the table to be able to be heard. Right. For all the bad press that Elon Musk has taken inside the last couple of uh, months with the acquisition of Twitter, the fact is something like Starlink did launch in earnest this year in Canada to some pretty good results from people who've used the product. Absolutely. And that's, you know, a potential solution right there. Now, granted, the cost of Starlink is not necessarily um, uh, one that is is easy to attain. Mm -hmm. However, Mm -hmm. there are opportunities for the government perhaps to subsidize some of those costs if that's the only way to get the service in there. Right. If people are blocking each other, then it's hard. Right. What's the cost vis-a-vis it would actually take to build that infrastructure, building roads and putting poles and running wire? Like what would that cost the government if they have to subsidize that? Exactly. And you got to take that and look at that in column number one, then look at the cost of, I don't know, for example, Starlink or what other solutions might be. And there's probably a, a low cost effective way to bring Internet to those communities. If you look at our country, we, we have an incredible amount of land in our country and we are connected across the board. You look at Nunavut, you look at places that you, you haven't even, aren't able to pronounce. They have Internet access in some way, shape or form. So it is possible to get that service there. The question is how and who's going to pay and who's going to put the bill at the end of the day. Yeah, and it, it's it's so funny because, not funny, I, I don't mean to think of this as humorous, but that, that's a yeah. word I like to use because sometimes we have to laugh at the world and not cry at it. But it, it, it really strikes me that a lot of times people will think about this conversation in the context of Nunavut or the Northwest Territories or Northern Saskatchewan yeah. or Northern Ontario. But the fact is, between Ottawa and Montreal, it might as well be a telecom dead zone for about 100 yeah. kilometers, which which is stunning, right? Like, these are two of the biggest cities in the country with lots of communities in between, and it's a telco dead zone. You know what? I, I literally drove back from Gatineau yesterday, so just across the water from Ottawa to Montreal, and experienced that along the way. Wondering, And I was on, on a different highway, not the 417, which is a very populated area. Highway 50. Highway 50. And you drive through barren land, and I'm like, oh, okay, there's no lights here. There's nothing going on here for, for kilometers at a time. And this is in my backyard. This is not even 45 minutes away from me. And until you hit Mirabelle, which is, you know, about 25 minutes outside of Montreal, you get nothing. So, yeah, these things are happening and access to to digital infrastructure is happening for our neighbors, people who are literally down the street a couple of kilometers away. So there needs to be something here that that solves this. And, And there is technology now that can do this in a way that isn't going to break the bank for everybody. So there's got to be a solution here that everybody agrees upon. Like part of it certainly is, yeah, just giving individuals access to these things in their homes on their own devices. That's certainly part of it. But it's also about investments in public libraries, right? We like saying that we're going to find places to give people this access, not just sort of internet cafes. I I don't know if internet cafes are still a thing, but (laughs) but largely saying, hey, we need to make sure public libraries have operating hours that are from, say, like 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. or 8 a.m. to 10 p.m. so that people can get access to these things, at least as a building block, as a starting point. Yeah, that's a starting point. It gives them somewhere to go to at least have access to it so they can be on equal footing with people who are are just literally kilometers away. And and, and there's no excuse for that not to exist in 2022 going into 2023. It's just, it's just ridiculous. Public Wi-Fi networks, right? Like, again, we can think about the equity, equity people in remote areas, but we can also think about public Wi-Fi, good public, good, safe public Wi-Fi. 
you know, in, in the U.S. and in Europe, there are people who will set up Internet service providers for their own neighborhoods, people who know that they can get fiber optic into their house, but know that people down the street can't. So they'll set up a wireless network. We have a lot of regulations that stop us from doing that in, in North America. So, uh, you know, if, if we took that model, you know, and just look at how regular, you know, citizens can say, hey, I want to do something and help my community. If we were able to do that, if the government didn't stop us from doing that, I think we'd have way more access to it. Mm. Hey, Mark, we really appreciate your perspective on this story. This is the last time that we're going to speak live on air this year as the show's uh-huh. taken a little bit of a hiatus while we test some new equipment and test out a new studio ahead of a relaunch on January the 9th. But if we don't get a chance to talk between now and then, Mark, all the best over the holidays to you and the family. Thank you, Dave. I, I, same to you guys and everybody at home. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. The Walrus is Canada's conversation, and you're invited to take part. Download AMI's Voices of the Walrus, where professional narrators read selected articles from the magazine. Available wherever you download your AMI podcasts.